Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill, to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all. Who dat? And welcome in. I am Jeff Nowak, and this is Inside Black and Gold. Just wanted to hit you with a quick mid-week podcast to go over some injury updates. The initial injury report came out today, recording this on Wednesday. So there are a handful of important things to know heading into week 18 against the Falcons. You know, it's going to be one of those games that everyone tells you, why do you care? Well, I care, right? And I think that if you're if you're going to go and you're going to watch this game, you should care, you know, because week 18, things matter could be worse anyway so we're going to get into that we're going to talk about the injuries here and then the end's going to be a live mailbag maybe one or two segments like depends on how many questions are in there but first things first let's just get into the injury report it's a long one it is a long injury report and there's a few names on here that i was a bit surprised to see one Defensive tackle Colin Saunders did not see him leave the game with a concussion, but apparently he did have one. He seems to be doing okay. I did see him in the locker room, wasn't able to talk to him because you're not allowed to interview players when they're in the concussion protocol, but he seemed fine to me. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an independent neurologist, so I can't go and uh, clear him, but if if they have the motivation to probably stretch this to Late Friday or Saturday, I have a feeling he'll get cleared. Either way, he did not participate. He will have to get through a full practice at some point this week before he can get cleared. That's a step in the concussion protocol uh, that you cannot skip. So we'll have to see if he's limited tomorrow. Hopefully he can be full on Friday and then get in there because I think stopping the run is going to be a big factor in that Falcons matchup, they ran for 220 yards last time he faced them. The Saints have been a bit more stout against the run in the last few weeks. But, you know, that can change in a hurry. So you want everyone in there. Um, we're going to just go through the rest of the DMPs. So the ones that were not surprising, linebacker Nephi Sewell, he's dealing with a knee injury. It's significant. He's going to be out for a while. It is not It is not something that you're even looking at. He's going to have surgery if it wasn't week 18, he'd probably land on injured reserve at this point. It just probably doesn't matter um, in terms of you don't need the roster spot. So you're just going to keep him on the roster. But he's going to be out for a while. Hopefully he can get back for next season. Uh, I imagine he'll start on pup, but that's a significant injury. 
Offensive tackle Landon Young. So if you recall in the preseason, Landon had a knee issue. It was like a slight meniscus tear or whatever. They treated it without surgery because you don't really get surgery for a meniscus issue. This is basically the same thing. I talked to him today in the locker room. He's upbeat about it. He's not going to play this week. He was a DMP today. He's not going to be in there. If the Saints get to the postseason, which obviously if they win and the Panthers beat the Bucs or the Seahawks and Packers both lose, then they would get to the postseason. He hopes that he could be ready to play um, by the by the wild card round if they get there. Now, obviously, that's a big if, but you know it's a good sign that it's not a more significant knee injury. It's more just a frustration thing because it's happened multiple times that he got leg whipped. That was not fun. Uh, safety Lonnie Johnson's another one. DNP, he's dealing with a knee injury. We knew it was going to keep him out for a while. I don't expect him to be back this season, but hey, who knows? Um, the ones that I was a little bit more surprised about, not really surprised, but running back Alvin Kamara dealing with that ankle injury, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough to come back from an ankle injury in one week, whether you're a running back, whether anybody else, but it's particularly difficult when you're a running back and you really need that kind of change of direction. You need to be able to plant and go. And I just, I don't think he's, you're going to be able to get that back in a week. So, you know, we'll have to watch that. He's a DMP. I think there is some hope that he can go in in week 18 in this pivotal game. But if he can't, you're going to have to rely on, you know, probably Jamal Williams and the next guy on this list who is running back, Kendra Miller. He was limited today with an ankle injury. He was really close to going last week in week 17. It's I, I, the, the report was that he, you know, you know he kind of, Late in the week, it kind of crept up on him, and it just did not feel right, and they they kept him out. I talked to him today in the locker room. You know, he's as frustrated as anybody. Like, that's the thing. It's, uh, you know, these ankle injuries, and it's just a pain. I think if anyone's had ankle injuries, right, they linger. You know, every time you think you're past it, you take a step the wrong way, you roll your ankle, you're right back to square one. And I think that's what you've been getting with Kendra. Every time he feels like he's making a step in the right direction, suddenly it comes back, right? And, you know, he told me today that he's still dealing with it. You know, it's it's there. But, you know, barring a setback, he's going to be out there. He told me straight up. He's like, I plan to be out there. Um, so you'll, I, I imagine you'll see him. Assuming Alvin can't go, I expect Kendra will be out there. And, and he's just going to have to gut through it. And that's what it will be, is playing hurt. So I don't know how many reps you would get him if he is healthy, but he does expect to be out there. I expect to see him out there, and I think your backfield will be some combination of Jamal Williams, Kendra Miller, and maybe just to hedge your bets, you bring up a Jordan Mims or James Robinson, right? Like you, you may do that just to make sure that you don't end up in a situation like last week where Jamal Williams is the only active tailback or go back to week two against the Panthers where you only had Tony Jones Jr. It's not an ideal scenario to go into a week with just two tailbacks active, right? Like you, especially if you have a guy dealing with an ankle injury who, you know, he gets stepped on and all of a sudden he's back out. And anyway, I think you're going to, you're going to try to get one of those two guys up in terms of Jordan Mims or James Robinson. It's just a matter of who you have active beyond that. Right. The other guy, Cam Irving, who's not on the injury report, but I imagine will be your starting right tackle. Uh, you know, who backs him up, <laughs> right? You don't really have a ton of options there. And apparently, as we talked about on, on the, the early podcast this week, Trevor Penning doesn't play. Uh, he's active every week, but he won't. They, they they will not play him. So, 
You know, it is it is what it is at this point. Um, but you're gonna have to figure that out. So the one other DMP on here, and it's not surprising more so, a little confusing, because it's Jawan Johnson is dealing with a chest injury. Uh, was initially in the game reported as a shoulder injury, and it, he had it. He suffered that on the opening drive. It was not the touchdown where he got hurt, it, but the touchdown you can see him get up, kind of fit, holding that shoulder awkwardly, and the, he said that it just you, he landed on it, and that's when he kind of felt it. But it got hurt before that. Um, you know, when it, when you're talking about a chest, you know, or it, was it kind of a pectoral thing, or I don't know. But either way, he played through it in that game, and he played very well. So I have a feeling you're going to have him out there on Sunday and you're just kind of doing maintenance. But we'll have to see. You know, these next two practices of this of this week are going to be big for guys like Jawan, guys like Kendra, Colin, uh, you know, and, and obviously Alvin. A uh, few more names on this list. Jimmy Graham got his typical Wednesday rest day. Nothing, uh, nothing to report about there. It's just always there. Eric McCoy is on the injury report with a foot injury. He was on there last week, and he played. He was limited. I expect him to be fine. Then wide receiver Chris Olave still dealing with that ankle injury, but he has played through it each of the past two weeks. He was limited. Um, I don't think you saw him have any issues. I thought he was moving around better in week 17 than he was in week 16 out in L.A., he just wasn't as big a part of the game because you had other guys taking control. You had Jawan Johnson, you know, you had Jamal Williams and Alvin Kamara running the ball pretty effectively. Taysom Hill caught a big pass. And you were playing with a lead, so you didn't really have to force anything. So I, I, I expect Chris Olave, I think he's going to have a big game. I think you go back to that Week 12 game and Chris Olave was going nuts. And he was basically the only weapon that you had in the receiving game there. Rashid Shahid went out with an injury. Michael Thomas was already out hurt and they still couldn't stop Chris. So uh, I hope that that's just kind of be something that repeats this time. And I don't see why not. Um, the other name on this list, Peyton Turner, toe injury. He was limited. I don't know y'all. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But that's it. That's it for the Saints injury report. On the Falcons side, you have five DMPs. That's defensive end Calais Campbell. Uh, he's, he got a rest day. Drew Dahlman, the center, dealing with ankle injury. Safety to Marco Hellams and cornerback Mike Hughes both have a concussion. They have concussions. They don't have one concussion. Uh, so they're gonna, their status is going to be interesting in terms of clearing the protocol. Running back Cordell Patterson got a rest day. And then the three guys were limited. Linebacker Troy Anderson, defensive end Zach Harrison. And then the last one, which is interesting, is quarterback Taylor Heineke. He was limited with an ankle injury. And who knows, right? Like People keep asking me, okay, who's the starter for the Falcons? And I'm like, I think it's Taylor Heineke, right? Like I would assume... <laughs> that it's Taylor Heineke, but he is dealing with an ankle injury. And I think Desmond Ritter, for all of his faults, provides a matchup problem for the Falcons that they can exploit against the Saints that they might not be able to exploit everywhere. So, you know, what whatever it is right now, whatever it seems like they're going to go with at the quarterback position, I would not be surprised one iota if it ends up being Desmond Ritter starting or Desmond Ritter coming in at some point in the game, um, just because that's 
that feels like a wild card the Saints will not be able to handle. But hey, you know, we'll we'll see. I think they they've played Taylor Heineke before, if you recall, in the 2021 season. They matched up against him in Washington and they, you know, he played well in that game, but you know, they did they intercepted him a handful of times. I know Adebo got him at the goal line uh, early in the game. So, they do have there is some familiarity there in terms of this defensive scheme and Taylor Heineke. Two other things to note. Marshawn Lattimore and Michael Thomas. Now we talked to Dennis Allen on the conference call today. He was asked, you know, what, what, what the heck, right? When we initially, when these guys initially went on injured reserve, there was the idea that this, these were not seizing ending injuries. That he said that the projection initially from the doctors was three to four weeks. Everyone heals differently. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Um, he says they're getting closer. I, that was air quotes. If you're if you're listening and not watching, I did air quotes. Uh, he said they're getting closer, but as you all are aware, it is week 18. So where where you at with that, right? I mean, it, and it's frustrating. You know, I I I, I don't know. Um, you know, again, high ankle sprains take a long time to come back from. So it's more of a rehab thing. Mike Thomas is dealing with the knee issue. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, we will see. Um, but the, the contracts for both of those guys will be very interesting subjects to cover as we get into the offseason. One last note that I will hit before we go to the break here. Marshawn Lattimore restructured. Well, the Saints restructured Marshawn Lattimore's contract today. They did it early. Right. They did it, uh, you know, far earlier than I would have anticipated. And, you know, when you kind of look at that, you're like, wow, you know, I would have thought that they would want to keep their options open for a trade. Whereas restructuring the deal as you normally would do it would kind of rule that out because it would mean that if you did trade him, then you would have a ton more dead money. And so you would say, you know, that normally you see that restructure news and you're like, well, uh, OK, then I guess he's going to stick around next year. Except, uh, you know, as Nick Underhill of New Orleans, the football pointed this out, and, you know, it's it's a great observation. It's a great analysis by him. Uh, they didn't, uh, rather than, they restructured it in such a way that it is not converted to a signing bonus, but more so a roster bonus, right? And it will not pay out until the week before the regular season. And so the way they structured it allows that to be tradable, and long story short, it actually sets it up so there is flexibility so that you could potentially trade him and still take advantage of that post-June 1 um, savings that, you know, you'd still have a ton of dead money. It would not really benefit you from a cap perspective or from a 2024 draft asset perspective. But, and this is going to be something I, I have a whole off-season plan that I want to get into. Once the off-season starts, it's, it's sitting there ready to go, but I'm not going to do a, this is my plan for the off-season podcast until we're in the off-season. But one of my notes on there is, okay, I'm going to shop Marshawn Lattimore as a post-June 1 trade. Because if you trade him prior to June 1, then you have significant dead cap. It's actually going to hurt you in 2024. Whereas if you you have to just make sure you clear the cap prior to that, which 
the way this is structured, you'll still have to do that independently of Marshawn's deal. But if you trade him after June 1st, then there would be some savings for 2024, but you would also see a significant dead cap hit and you would spread that out. Um, but it is interesting. And it's interesting they did it now. And it's interesting they did it the way they did it. Because as Nick points out, and he's right, you didn't have to do it that way, right? There's a reason that they restructured it the way that they did. And my understanding, my read on it is that they would do that to create flexibility, to potentially move on from Marshawn if they so choose. You know, and, and why why would you do that? Well, I think you you watch Alante Taylor this season and Personally, I do not see him as an as a slot cornerback. I see him as an outside cornerback. You have Paulson Diba going into his final year of his contract in 2024. You will have to make a decision on an extension, and I imagine that they will be very active in trying to get him signed to an extension. Ike Yadam, I think, will end up signing somewhere else. Now, maybe if you do move on from Marshawn, you, re- you find a way to re-sign Ike and you have really good depth and you figure out a slot corner, right? But I just think you, you look at it and like, that's the reason, right? If, you, if you're looking for a way to get younger, to pick up some assets and to help clean up your cap table for 2025 a little ahead of schedule, then that might make sense. But right now, I don't, I don't think that there are plans in place in motion to do any of that. It's again about flexibility and Mike Thomas's contract as well. He's a free agent. There's going to be a significant dead cap charge. I think there would be incentive for the saints to try to bring him back. And that's going to be a whole nother whole nother uh, bag of wrenches, you know, can of worms, whatever you want to call it uh, as you get into it, because you know, the, the cryptic tweets and you know, all, all that. And you know, whatever, whatever you want to say, you know, doesn't, it doesn't paint a picture of a guy who is thrilled to be a member of the organization, if that says enough. So you'll have to see, but regardless, that's going to be something. Anyway, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. Make sure to ring the bell on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. And, you know, give us a rating. Give us a review. Let us know what you think. This is year two for the pod. We're going to keep it going, right? Uh, me and Steve, we're going to get into the offseason. We're going to catch our breath, and we're going to turn right around and, and try to find some new ways to, to, to handle the podcast. And so any suggestions, any stuff you'd like to see more of, stuff you'd like to see less of, just let me know, and I will, and I will take everything into consideration. I love feedback, even when it's mean. I, I accept mean tweets as currency, and uh, and we'll go from there. But all right, we're going to get into a mailbag in this next segment. I see some comments in there already. So if you have questions, comments that you want to get into, we will do it. Just make sure you get them in there, and uh, I'll get to as many as possible. Again, thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll be right back. Here on Inside Black and Gold, I am Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. This is our midweek pod. We're going to make try to make it quick. Get in and out of here because I got dinner to eat. I know y'all are busy people 
trying to trying to remind yourself that it's 2024 and not 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, if you haven't gotten your comments, questions in there, if you're watching, make sure to do that. Um, and uh, we'll just get going here. First things first, we talked about the running game. Patrick Spezio asks, why not just make Taysom a running back? And, and, and the funny thing is, you know, Taysom had a, had a solid game. He caught a touchdown pass, but he re- even in a game where you didn't have Alvin, he didn't get a ton of carries. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything fundamentally difficult about making Taysom Hill a running back. It's just that it, it's, it's not how he typically operates in the offense. And you want to make sure you're not putting people in positions where they're going to fail. That said, I do think, yes, I think in a game where, A, you don't have your full stable of running backs and you might be relying on a, on a Kendra Miller who is playing through an injury, yes, you will use Taysom a lot more. This is also a game against the Falcons, a team that historically hasn't had a snowball's chance in hell of stopping Taysom Hill when he gets going downhill. The only thing they did right against Taysom Hill over the last several years was Jesse Bates punching out the ball just shy of the goal line. But even then, you look at it and you say, well, that was still a nice play, right? <laughs> he, still, he still ran the ball down to the four and got tackled and the ball came out, but he's still you know, in a very pivotal part of that game, a moment where the Saints were in position to go in and take a touchdown or score a touchdown and take the lead. You know, they weren't able to stop him. So, yeah, I think Taysom, more so than last week, is going to be a big part of that game plan. I think he's getting a little closer to fully healthy, right? He had been dealing with, you know, foot a foot injury, a hand injury. I think he's back from that. You know, obviously the hand couldn't have been bothering him that much if he's catching touchdown passes. But, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when you look at this game and you say, how are the Saints going to navigate without Alvin Kamara if they don't have him? Yes, I think that making sure the Taysom Hill part of your playbook, the pages do not collect dust. You want to be using them early and often because A, you know, it just makes sense and B, it works. Again, one of the things, and I've said this several times, one of the things that drives me nuts about the Taysom Hill part of it all is you just haven't been creative enough, in my opinion, with how you use Taysom Hill. And it's... It's not going to change in week 18. The die has been cast in that regard. You're not going to suddenly throw in all of these wrinkles in the final week of the season. But as we go into the offseason, whether that starts on Sunday at at 7 o'clock or whenever those afternoon games end, uh, or it starts... You know, a week, two weeks, man, maybe five weeks. No, that, 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 whatever. We, we, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring you down that path. Uh, whenever it starts, that's going to be one of my main criticisms. And when we talk about why they should find a new offensive system to build around, it's gonna be like you have this Swiss Army knife. You have a guy who can do all of these different things, but you only have him do the most obvious things possible. Um, from a week to week basis. And I, I just can't, I cannot, <laughs> cannot get on board with that. Go back to week, to go back to week one of the 2020 season. You were throwing, you know, you throw back passes, you were doing all these interesting things. You don't do that anymore, right? Like you don't do the things with Taysom Hill that made Taysom Hill fun. You just have this very bland attack 
that kind of defeats the purpose of having Taysom Hill. Now you've involved him more as a as a pass catcher this year, which sure that's that's great. It's good to have, especially in situations where you're limited. And what Taysom Hill has become in this offense, it, it, you know, I, I think we we can stop calling him a Swiss Army knife and more of a band aid, right? Like what are we talking about right now? It's not how can you use Taysom Hill. It's can can Taysom play running back or can Taysom ta- play tight end? And while it's like that's that's helpful, it's not. The what you would hope to see from Taysom, um, you know, he's he's being treated more like a utility infielder uh, than anything else, right? Like a guy who can play all these different positions, but not a guy you trust to start at any of them. And so, yeah, I know this is a long a long rant, but I that's again one of my biggest frustrations is that Taysom is not like that you're not creative with the with a player that allows you for so much creativity. You run just these boring boring sets and these very predictable QB powers. You did run an RPO. That's one thing I will say that in week 17, you did twice run a legit RPO. Um, the first one worked. It was the opening drive. You threw it to Juwan Johnson. The second one didn't work. He, he Again, he tried to throw it to Juwan Johnson. It was incomplete. But I think that, you know, if you re, if you went back and read that again, you would you would run it. Uh, you, you wouldn't read it as a pass. But, so I guess there is something there, but it's like, Week 17, this is when we're, we're actually running true RPO, so that's, uh, that's something. But I, but I do agree with you. Uh, so Justin Pasquale says, that's a relief. Miller's going to play if Kamara is out. I love Williams, but I just don't have a lot of confidence he can provide a big enough spark in the run game to help out Derek Carr. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, you know, Jamal, I'd like to see a big game for Jamal. That would be nice, right? Because he, he, he works hard, right? Like he's a guy who is always there. He's always putting in the work. He's easy to root for. You know, like his teammates just rave about, you know, his mentality and, and how he approaches the game. You just have not seen the production, right? And I don't think you've seen the burst from him uh, between the tackles that he kind of came in with, uh, you know, as that that was kind of his billing, right? And I I don't know, like he hasn't gotten in the end zone. You know, you haven't seen him. You haven't seen him be the guy where it's like third and short, and you're like, we know what we're gonna do. We're gonna hand it to, to Jamal, and he's gonna be a battering ram. You really haven't seen that, or at least you haven't seen it done in ways that have been particularly successful. I know Minnesota, he had a chance on a third and short to start the second half, and he didn't pick it up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. I think you did see him kind of come out of his shell a little bit in the second half of that game. He had some really nice runs. He converted some first downs. They got him on a screen. Um, but yeah, I just think, yeah, it, you are a lot more limited with Alvin out uh, in terms of can you do enough in the run game? The The nice thing you can say about Jamal is, you know, in the in the pass pro game, I think he is your best pass pro running back. So you'll be able to do things in the play action. You'll be able to you'll be able to run some more sets that are less predictable, right? Like one of the things that 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 is frustrating when you see this the the kind of platoon is you know third and medium. You put you put Jamal in there, and you are just projecting that you're going to throw the ball because you obviously have him in there as a pass protection guy. Well, if he's the only back. They're not going to have that tell, so I think maybe that does let you allow you to be a little bit more deceptive. But we will have to see. Justin again says, "Are you more confident in the Saints getting this win or the Panthers beating the Bucks?" You know, I, I, <laughs> uh, I mean, I will not sit here and tell you that the Panthers beating the Bucks is a high percentage play. 
It's not, but it is possible. Right. And, and, you know, we've talked a lot to, to, you know, he asked, asked Mickey Loomis about it yesterday. We're going to get more into that interview in tomorrow's episode or in the Friday morning, the, the episode that we'll post Friday morning, because, you know, we have a good bit of insight from Mickey and, you know, people are going to say I allowed him to get, ga- I've, I've seen people tweet at me saying that I allowed him to gaslight the Houdat nation and, you know, take whatever. Um, <laughs> I actually thought that, you know, you, you have to ask the GM questions in certain ways to get actual answers, right? Like, I, I do think it's funny. You go in there and and people expect you to be like, hey, fuck face, why'd you do this? And it's like, you know, they're not going to, you're not going to answer your question <laughs> if, you, if you ask it that way. But, you know, I, I, we asked, we asked him, Derek Carr was asked, Dennis Allen was asked, you know, do you pay attention? Do you kind of scoreboard watch in these situations, because they've all been in them, right? Like Dennis Allen was there in 2021 when the Saints needed the Rams to to lose to the 49ers. I'm sorry, to beat the 49ers, and they were up 10 points in the second half, and they blew that lead because the Rams are insistent on not doing anything nice for the Saints in any at any moment where it could be possible. Um, and they also kind of know, like Derek would prefer if they didn't show the score in the stadium at all. Right. <laughs> like, I don't want to know because all the Saints can do is beat the Falcons. Right. Like, that's literally all they can do. It's not going to be like you're playing the game and you're you're looking up at halftime like, ah, oh, the Panthers are down by 20. This doesn't matter. Well, it does still matter because the wild card games that you need to go a certain way don't start until three. So it's not like just the, the Panthers winning is your only out. And, and regardless, if you don't beat the Falcons, it doesn't matter. I think the Saints should feel confident, right? I, I'd like to think that what we saw in Week 17 is not a mirage. Is That's just the, the mentality of this team. You're going to out-physical the opponents, right? You're going to win the line of scrimmage. And, you know, one of the things I was most impressed by for that Saints offensive line was, you know, they pass protected very well, but they also opened up lanes in the running game. They got push. They moved people. And it's just not something you have seen a lot of this season from that offensive line. So hopefully they can uh, continue to do that. John Edwards says, we don't deserve to play in the postseason. L-O-L. I guess. I mean, I would say that the teams that get in deserve to play in the postseason. You know, and and I and I guess like, I mean, why not, <laughs> right? Like, like what 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 is that? Where is that idea rooted in? Of okay, there's 20 teams that still have a chance to make the postseason, but the Saints shouldn't because they lost a handful of games. Everyone lost games that they probably wanted to win, right? <laughs> that they probably should have won, right? It's it's a, it's just where you are, and the fact is, you shouldn't be upset at a team winning four of its final five games and giving itself a chance. I mean, because I'm not, um, and I don't know why you would be, but I guess that's if that's where you want to be. Then then go ahead. But I I think this is a team that's fighting. That you know I get like I said I've said this before. Like there's this idea that this team has quit, and I'm like I don't know where you're getting that because what you've seen over the last month has not been a team quitting. Um, you don't go out to Tampa and win that game the way you did if you have quit. So we'll see. But, I mean, 
I, I don't know. I, I'd be excited if it got into the postseason. I know this team would be excited if it got into the postseason. I have a feeling that the fan base would be excited if they got to host a playoff game. Yeah, you know, you're gonna. It's it's that's that's where you are. But you know, I I feel I feel like this should be a fun game, regardless of of what happens around the league, regardless of what happens in Carolina. You should be able to watch the Saints-Falcons game with these two teams, both teams with a chance to win and and potentially win the division. That's an exciting game, right? And if you can't get up for that, then I think that's on you personally. Um, all right, let's... Uh, A-O Toto, A-O-I Toto. Also want to ask, has Todd Grantham been as good as I feel like he has been Want to know your opinion on his impact? One of the few coaches on this staff I never hear talked about. You know, it's a good question, and you know, I've I've talked to a few of the defensive linemen about Todd. You know, and he is kind of this this background figure of the the coaching staff, right? You don't really see him. He's not in the forefront. Like everyone talks about Doug Marone in the offensive line. You know, we talk about Cody Burns. We talk about the receivers. You talk about Ronald Curry. Todd Grantham's just kind of in there doing his thing. Um, and, you know, I, the the defensive line, they, uh, I mean, I think they've had their moments, right? Like uh, Brian Brzee, I think, has been good. I like the development I've seen from him. Isaiah Foskey is frustrated because he just hasn't been on the field. It's hard to put that on the coaching Tano Passigno, I think, has been used in a lot of interesting ways. More so, you know, it's like easy to forget. He's been here for, what, three years now? But this is the first year I've seen them really get creative with with Tano in terms of shifting him inside and using him on a bunch of different stunts with Brian Brzee. Obviously, you lost Malcolm Roach to injury, and now you're kind of incorporating Zach Bond as that situational pass rusher. But I think Todd's been fine. I, I don't think you look at him and say, yeah, we need to make a change at the defensive line coach position. Um, I'm interested to see how a guy like Isaiah Foskey develops year one to year two, you know, and, and everyone's going to say, oh, he's a bust. He's just another one of these missed draft picks. I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think you need to get him on the field, and and that's what's frustrating. But I, I, I think Todd has been good. I think he has been a kind of a steady, like a steady kind of hand for this group that that really needs to continue to infuse young talent and get better. Um, but it's a good sign. It's always nice when you can look at the look at a team and look at a position group and say, okay, you you struggled, but you have been improving and you're playing your best football at the end of the year. And I think the defensive line, if you look at that week four game compared to the week eight, seven, week 17 game in terms of the amount of pressure A that you were able to generate on Baker Mayfield and the amount of times you were able to actually influence the play, whether that be through a hit, through a sack, through a pressure, it, it's, it's a night and day difference, right? Like you chased Baker Mayfield in week four. You harassed Baker Mayfield in week 17. And there, there are very big differences. He wasn't able to extend plays. And I think the approach was good. You obviously beat up on the Panthers, just not a good offensive line. You beat up on the Giants, not a good offensive line. Nothing worked against the Rams, you know, and that's on everybody. Um, but I, I think he, I think he's a, I, I like Grantham. I think Grantham has been solid. PBM8264. Jeff, any word on <laughs> any word that Graham will spike over the goalpost if he scores late in the game? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I don't think he will. 
unless it's in a scenario where that penalty cannot hurt you, that's a, that's the first thing because if you do if you do have that spike, you're gonna get an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, and if that 15 yards is a is it is a factor, you're not gonna see him do it. It's also gonna be a fine. Now I remember he said that when he did it in the preseason. Uh, after they instituted the rule, he got a thirty thousand dollar fine. And you know, back in the back in Jimmy's heyday when he had this huge contract, maybe it would have seemed like not as much. But you know, he's on a veteran minimum deal now, and he's got a lot of life to lead after this. A thirty thousand dollars is a pretty big chunk of change. So, you know, I would be surprised if he did. If he was ever going to do it, it would have been that late touchdown against either the Panthers or the Giants because those were kind of blowout games at uh, at that point, right, when he caught that touchdown against the Panthers. Obviously, it was close prior to that. So I, I, I don't know. I would love to see it personally, but I just have a feeling that it's, uh, that it's not going to happen. Demetrius James, man, number 90 is going to be so special. Number 90, obviously. Brian Brizzy. You know, I... I the, this is a question I, I wanted to ask, maybe we ran out of time, is like, you know, the funny thing about health is like, you want to be like, wow, they drafted a lemon, right? Like they, they you know, Kendra Miller's been hurt and Isaiah Foskey's been hurt and you should have known, right? Peyton Turner and Marcus Davenport. Funny thing, it's like, how do you project health, right? You know, the funny thing is you go around the NFL, I guarantee you if you pulled uh, the scouting departments for for some of these, like why, why did you move Brian Brzee down your board? guarantee you health would have been near the top of that list, right? Uh, and you look at Brian's rookie season and he's been healthy as an ox. I, I don't know if he has appeared on an injury report. Definitely hasn't missed a game. And, you know, I, I think that's just kind of funny, right? Like you, the guy with the the clear injury concerns in college gets to the NFL and he's perfectly fine. You know, you don't you don't see any of that. And then the the guy who was just, you know, the model of durability in college, which is Isaiah Foskey. You know, he played a zillion games. He was there. He was available. He made impact plays left and right. He's been hurt all year. You know, he's dealing with that quad injury. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. That's, uh, that's tough. But I agree. I think Brian is going to, you know, there's a lot of misses, right? You've, it's easy to look at the draft halls and say, gosh, they missed on this guy. They missed on this guy. Well, I, I don't think he's a miss. I think that they nailed that pick, and I feel good about it because that was my mock draft pick. But I also mock draft or mocked them Isaiah Foskey. So hey, you know, I I'll take the I'll take the L on that. I also mocked them Trevor Penning. So I guess that's me. I maybe I, I'm starting to wonder if they're just picking the guys that I want, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I agree. I, I really like guys, or, uh, Brian Brzee, and so hopefully hopefully uh, he can continue that uh, development there. Rich Vital, what's the difference if your team won 10 in a row, then lost seven and barely made the playoffs? I'm not sure what this means, but I'm going to interpret it in the way I interpret it. And, you know, I, I do think it's funny. It's like, would you prefer to start seven and zero and then and then finish three and seven? Right. Or would you prefer to start three and seven and finish seven and zero? I think it's kind of what you're trying to get there. And, you know, it's funny because I think the fan base would be a lot more excited if you started 7-0. But but that's probably not the path you would want to take 
to actually win a Super Bowl, right? And like you look at the teams that win Super Bowls, and it's usually the team that you know a lot of sometimes it's the team that's hot at the beginning of the season and they ride that wave all the way through. The Eagles were like that last year, right? They they were hot at the beginning. They won a bunch of games and they just stayed hot. They got all the way to the Super Bowl. They lost, but you know obviously that could, game could have gone either way. The Chiefs were a team that probably wasn't as hot early in the season, but they just got better throughout the course of the year. The really good Saints teams were like that. You know, you go back and you, you it's easy to think like, oh, they never had hard times. In 2017, that team started 0-2, right? Like they got better and they strung wins together. And that's my biggest criticism of this team this year is they were never able to sustain that success. They won two games, two games, two games. They, they can win two games again here. They never got that third win, that, that streak starter, because I don't consider it a streak until you win the third game, right? There's no such thing as a two-game winning streak, in my opinion. That's just two wins. It's not a streak until you get to that third game. <laughs> then you can say you're on a winning streak or a losing streak. But I, I, I think like people get caught up early in the season and they make their opinions and they're, they've, they've chosen what they believe and their conclusion about this team and this season but then you, it's like you can get hot down the stretch of the season, and that's what you should want. You want to peak at the right time. Now, 10 and 7, I would prefer 12 and 5, right? I would prefer that this team doesn't flirt with 9 and 8, 8 and 9, and, and forces themselves to have to wait. And, and that's where you look at it and you say, no, this team wasn't good enough. The, the coaching wasn't necessarily good enough. Um, and, uh, you know, the quarterback play, I think, was fairly criticized for a good chunk of the season. I think Derek Carr has been much better um, across the board over these last five, six games. And, you know, you can say that's that's good. You know, they've been more efficient in the red zone. They've got they've they've played offense that you can at least appreciate, you know, with that the exception of that Panthers game, which, you know, I think that Panthers defense is just <laughs> a pain in the ass to play against. And the short week, and you know, you can look at all of the losses and explain several of them away, but that doesn't make it better. That just point that just shows you things that you have to take seriously and fix. Um, but I, but I, you know, I as someone who was a Giants fan when they went and won those Super Bowls, I can tell you that I was not angry at the end of the season that they started slow, and I assure you that those teams were met with just insane amounts of criticism all throughout the season and they got hot and they won. So personally, if the if the if the options are start hot, finish wherever, like look at the Eagles right now and you know go into the playoffs with zero optimism uh versus start slow or start terribly even like this like the Saints in 2017 and peak at the end of the season and you know I would prefer that right because I think that gives you the best chance but you know I would love to see a hot start in a hot finish that would be good can we do that can we, that would that would be nice that'd be the best of both worlds but yeah we'll uh, we'll see IO Toto and we'll get to a few more questions here and then we'll we'll get out of here uh any word on them changing o line coaches now so I asked Mickey uh yesterday and um about you know when you're when you're making these evaluations and and what what do you weigh more do you weigh division rematches right because I think personally I think those rematch games are really kind of telling of of the coaching because you're not surprising anybody you're not 
you know, they know what your offense is. They know what your defense is. You know what their offense is. You know what their defense is. They can change some things up. They might have different personnel. But at the end of the day, the system is the system, and you've seen it and you've played against it, so you should have a better chance. So I think that's where you kind of get a good read on that, and he was not biting at all. <laughs> you know, I, I I tried to phrase it in such a way that he would just answer a question, but now, they, like they, this evaluation process for the Saints is is important, right? They they don't view it as we've already made this decision, so we're gonna backfill our analysis into whatever we're gonna do. They're going to get to the end of the season. They're going to do exit interviews, right? They're going to talk to players. They're going to talk to coaches. They're going to go over film. They're going to go over everything. And that's when you make a decision of, okay, it's time to move on from this guy. It's time to uh, find a new whatever, whatever, whatever. None of those decisions have been made right now. And I, and like, like you can say it's coach speak. You can say it's whatever. But I, I think that they're just being honest when they say that they have not decided on anything. You're not saying like, it, and, and I think that's the right approach because you don't, like even if you in the back of your head are like, I'm probably going to fire this guy or whoever, you think you're going to get good work out of that person <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're treating them like a dead man walking? No. So I think it's, it's fair to everybody to, to just kind of have that approach and not you know, pu- push someone out the door, right? Uh, because you need them to to keep you know holding on to the rope. So I I will I expect the Saints to change offensive line coaches. I expect them to make a, a handful of moves. I think you're going to try to rebuild the offensive staff to some degree. I think you really like Cody Burns. I think he is a core piece of that coaching staff, and maybe you promote him in some way. I think you know you like Joel Thomas. Uh, he's been around forever as the running backs coach, and and I think you know he's really popular with the players. You like him. Uh, I think you're going to keep Ronald Curry again. Maybe you promote him. Maybe you have him do something else. Um, you know the the biggest questions in my mind are you know Pete Carmichael, Doug Marone, Kevin Carberry. Um, just because the the those the groups the the offensive line group has been so inconsistent, and you know. I don't think this team wants to just punt on the idea of Trevor Penning ever being a functional offense or offensive lineman. And if that's what is happening with the coaching staff in there, you got to change it up. So, you know, I, I don't think that you will have seen them. Yeah. I don't think that you're looking at it and say, Oh, they've already decided they're going to move on from him. But I think you probably will um, as you go forward, but I appreciate the question. Uh, Rich Vital says, I looked up the breeze Peyton records and they had four, seven and nine seasons. I mean, seven and nine is one thing. They had three consecutive seven and nine seasons. And, you know, I'd like to say no one was calling for Sean's head. People were calling for Sean's head. Anytime you go seven and nine, three years in a row, people are going to call for your head. What saved Sean was the reason for those seven and nine seasons, which was some of the worst defensive football you have ever seen, <laughs> right? I mean, the miracle was that those were seven and nine seasons. And honestly, you might have been better off if they weren't seven and nine seasons. But Drew Brees was that good to the point that he, it was almost impossible to go worse than seven and nine with Drew Brees in the equation. <laughs> but no, it, it is it is funny when you look at it and you and you see a team that's 
you know, they went seven and 10 last year, which is effectively seven and nine, right? They were, uh, you know, like they were seven and nine and they lost in a meaningless game in week 18. So I think seven and 10 is the closest thing you can get seven and 10 with a loss in week 18, as opposed to a win, which would have meant you were six and 10. That's the closest you can get to a seven and nine season. Now that there is a 17 game schedule. So it is kind of funny when you look at this team and you see, you see the records from what was it? 2014, 15 and 16. Right. And you, you, you kind of see, and you're like, Oh, they went seven and nine, those three seasons. And then you, you change coaches. And the first year you go seven and 10. And then the next season, you're you're eight and eight with a chance to go to nine and eight and maybe win the division, and it's 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 viewed as like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And while it's it's been frustrating, and I've been right there with you, um, it's just funny to have that seven and nine stretch in recent memory. It's not like 20, 2016 was a lifetime ago. It was seven years ago, eight years ago, but. But for some reason, this eight and eight, maybe nine and eight season is is a freaking nightmare. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I do kind of funny. Find kind of find it funny. Rich Vital says that was a great interview with Mickey. You know, uh, it, the, okay. And, and I'll talk about this really quick. And we're gonna get into this interview tomorrow uh, when Steve Geller uh, comes back. He, he's hosting right now. Um, but we're gonna in our preview episode, we're gonna play you some clips from this interview. Uh, the fun, the the fun thing with Mickey is. You know, he's willing to answer your questions, but, you know, it's, you have to, you have to be kind of thoughtful in the way you present them, or he's just going to shut them down, right? And I think a lot of the time people perceive that as being soft, but it's really just a, just a way to get someone to, to kind of open up and answer questions. And, you know, so there are moments where you're like, why did you say that? And, you know, uh, there, there's a moment in that interview where he compares Derek Carr's rookie or first season here to Drew Brees' first season in 2006. And I knew when he said it, I was like, oh, gosh, people are going to people are going to go all over that. And I and I tweeted that quote out today and people went all, went nuts on it. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny, but it's like it, all you can ask someone to do is be honest and and when I get frustrated with Mickey, it's when he's saying things that I'm just like, you can't possibly believe that, you know, and it's just kind of, you know, a guy talking to answer your question, but not only because he's not really going to answer your question. And I thought in that interview and, and uh, you know, we there's an excerpt of it on our on our YouTube page. If you there's a link in the bio or in the in the description that you can go find the full audio of it. It's like a 20 minute interview. It's on WWL.com. And I think that, you know, it, while it's not as um, <laughs> aggressive of an interview in terms of, you know, people seem to think you, you should go in there and just just fucking rear back and attack a guy because you're mad about the way the football season went. I think he does get to some really interesting answers. And uh, there, he talked about Zach Bond. And, you know, I, I think Zach Bond is a guy who you tried to do something with and it didn't work. And now you're seeing, okay, we have a we have an alternative plan and it's working. And, you know, I, and I think it is interesting. You talked about Jawan Johnson. You talked about Alante Taylor um, and, and these guys who you kind of take out the the projections for the season and you look at how it has gone and you say well okay this has been frustrating but how have they handled it how have they worked and how have they gotten to the point they're at now and uh you know i think that there is there are positives to take from that but i 
but it's also like no the, the what you did in week 17 is like you can't look at that and say yeah, i made it right like you gotta do that every week you know and so we can go to week 18 and see the same show play out we saw in the first half of the season all those good vibes are gone and that's kind of what he said so i do think it was an interesting an interesting interview um but well, we'll get into that tomorrow uh We've we've seen uh, the Stackanova uh, says remain balanced and fair regarding Derek Carr and criticized for I do get criticized for it. Uh, why do so many of the fans and especially the media hate him? Their evaluation doesn't match reality. You know, I I, I don't think the the media hates him. I don't. I think there's this kind of groundswell of kind of groupthink regarding the quarterback position, and that it's just. You know, like there's there's no nuance to the conversation. It's all bad or all good, um, and and I think if you're if you're exposed to that on social media, if you're exposed to that on on YouTube, you're gonna get a lot of the kind of karate yes, karate no, all in, all out, absolutes like you know uh, Darth Vader type type takes of like either you're all with me or you're all against me, and it's the truth is always somewhere in the middle and that's true of Derek Carr you know there have been times he's been answering questions at his press conference and I just roll my eyes because like come on man like you can't you can't honestly think that you know he comes off as corny sometimes you know like like I I I wonder how he relates to teammates but I think it's like it's not a situation where you look at it and say, well, this is, this is, you can't re- reclaim this. You can't get better at relating to teammates. You can't improve throughout a season. You can't ingratiate yourself in a locker room and in a city. I have people saying that he doesn't understand New Orleans and Drew Brees got here and he immediately did. It's like, and, and that's why when Mickey compare what is talking about, we well, have to look at Drew Brees in 2006 and not necessarily Drew Brees in 2015 or 2018. I think that's what he's talking about in the sense that. You know, Drew wasn't Drew Brees in 2006, right? He wasn't the guy that everyone knows today. He wasn't this pillar of the community in 2006. He grew into that. And my issue with the a lot of the Derek Carr discourse is not that it's it's all wrong. You know, there's fair criticism. It's that he's never been given an opportunity to grow. It was like he you put him into this and it was immediately either he's perfect or he's terrible. And you got somewhere in the middle, you got stats that are around the the average for Derek Carr in his career, right? You're talking 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions, which is a pretty good split. You'd like to see more touchdowns, but I would also hate to see more interceptions, so I'm okay with with that split, especially when you consider he gets taken off the field in the red zone. You know, he gets taken off the field for these Taysom Hill reps, and so, you know, that takes away some of those opportunities. And and I just think, like, he, he there's... Uh, my, my thing is, like, I think it's just... I wanted him to get a fair shot at it. And uh, and I guess I that makes me a car stand. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I just... I just my, my, my approach is that I'm just going to be honest... And whether whether you agree with me or not, I, I really don't care. I'm just going to tell you what I think. I'm going to give you my honest take, my honest opinion, and go from there. And I think people think I'm like carrying water for the team. And, you know, I think it's more that I'm just not going to tell you what you want to hear because you want to hear it. And, uh, and that's where it is. But again, this is me. I'm not, this is, I, I don't know. I don't try to go on these, 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 tr- 
preaching rants, but you just draw it out of me anyway. This has been Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is our midweek edition. We're going to come back with a preview episode post on Friday. We'll get a Falcons reporter in here to kind of give us the lowdown on why they fell off a cliff and why it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. Um, but, you know, that's this is Falcons hate week, and you got to get to it. You got to do it. You got to enjoy it. Enjoy what you can't. And I can enjoy hating on some Falcons. I can always enjoy that. I'm going to like put up a, maybe I'll like put up a sneaky 28-3 scoreboard in my background behind me and see if he, see if he notices and just clicks off the podcast. But either way, that's something for later in the week. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Jeff Nowak. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. If you haven't rang the bell on YouTube, please do that. Hit me up on Twitter. DMs are open. Tell me what you think. Give me your feedback, rate and subscribe, whatever you want to do. But as always, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone who dropped in a question. Had a lot of fun. And who dat? Go Saints. One more to go. Easy, y'all. Peace.